0: Hi, this is Pastor Matt and I wanna welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it ends. This is my I'd rather be skiing sweater, sweater, so. Well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Matt Van Cleve, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, So we're starting a series today uh, called I'm Done With That, and we'll look at some of the things that we need to eliminate from our lives in order to make space for God, uh, to experience God's presence going into what I believe is going to be an amazing year. And today we are going to talk about I'm Done With Complaining. Um, And I need to start today by uh, confessing to you that God has shown me how important it is that I live what I'm teaching today. Uh, Just this week, God revealed to me how much I need to follow what the writers of Scripture teach when dealing with things that are so easy to complain about. Uh, He showed me how easy it is for me to be negative. Uh, He showed me how easy it is for me to spiral down when I start complaining. Uh, He showed me how easy it is for me to complain about people rather than go to the person uh, I have a problem with. Showed me how easy it is for me to be self-centered and blind to the needs of other people. Uh, This week, uh, God revealed to me how much I mess up in this area of complaining. And in many respects, it's been a painful week. Um, So now I get to pass on some of that pain to you all right there are two basic ways to be done with complaining Uh, one is to change your external world so there's no circumstance left to complain about Um, that means if you've been complaining about not being married you have to get married it means if you're married you have to improve your spouse into the kind of person (laughs) who would never generate grounds for complaints Um, if you have one of those jobs uh, you would have to have one of those jobs where Uh, your boss says to you, you know, what hours would you like to work and how much would you like to get paid? Um, You have to make sure 580 and 680 are always traffic-free. You have to make sure your dates are cute, your grades are always A's, and all your relatives are in therapy. It's one of the ways that we can be done with complaining. Just change your external world. The other way is change your internal world. Ask God... God, will you give me the kind of inner attitude so that I can receive from you every day? Will you show me what the Apostle Paul talked about when he said, learn the secret of being content in every situation? Um, that's what we're going to talk about today. And here's the thing. We still live in a world where pain and difficult things happen to us all the time. God is not asking us to be a flowery or inauthentic. So how do we actually pursue being done with complaining. That's what I'm so excited about uh, to talk about today. There's a distinction between two key words in the Bible, and I never thought about this until uh, this week. Uh, A great Old Testament scholar named Tremper Longman, he writes about these two words, and so we're just going to unpack these two words in this message. They both start with the letter G. Uh, They're both things people do when bad things happen to them. Uh, One of them is the word groan. From the very beginning of the history of the people of Israel, we're told the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And God heard the groaning, and he remembered his covenant. This gets remembered. And God, through Moses, goes back and speaks to the Israelites. I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. And this practice of groaning is so important that it actually gets Included in their sacred literature in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist said, I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. I am worn out from my groaning. The psalmist is actually experiencing groaning fatigue. You probably wouldn't know this, but groaning is actually commanded in the Bible. In the Old Testament book of Lamentations, uh, it's not a book that gets read at a lot of weddings. But the writer of Lamentation says, arise, groan in the night. Pour out your heart like a water in the presence of the Lord. That's groaning. And the writers of Scripture say people are to do that. And we do that in real life. Um, It's actually commanded in the Bible. The other word that also starts with the letter G in the Bible is the word grumble. Uh, Sometimes people grumble. And we see this way back in the history of Israel. Uh, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Moses re- reminds them about this part of their history also. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. Remember that phrase, grumbled in your tents. We'll come back to that. This word grumbled also makes it into the Psalms. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. Notice grumbling here is compared with diso- uh, it's paired with uh, disobedience which is why grumbling is actually forbidden in the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi and says, do everything without grumbling. Does anyone here but me grumble? Let's just do a mass confession on this one, okay? And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. I mean, just think about whether or not you grumble. Let's just think back over a period of time. Let's say the past month. All right, so let's just go back to um, like Thanksgiving dinner with all of your family, Okay. Um, And I'll just give you a few categories just to jog your memory. If over the last month you grumbled about your money, about your weight, about your in-laws, about your in-laws' money, about your in-laws' weight, um, about traffic, about your health, about possessions, about a relationship, about food, about politics, how many of you would say you've grumbled at least once in the last month? How many of you would say... I'm not putting my hand up in the air. That's a dumb idea, and I'm not going to do it. All right. You might think grumbling sounds like a trivial problem, like it's not a very serious sin, uh, but you would be wrong. Uh, I want you to see how seriously God takes this. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, we ought to avoid the sins Israel committed while wandering in the desert. And he talks about four mistakes, and I just want you to notice them. 1 Corinthians 10. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. It's kind of scary, isn't it? All right. So first is idolatry. Second, sexual immorality. Third, we must not put the Lord to the test. And the idea here is a deliberate, willful defiance. We must not deliberately, willfully defy God. And lastly, do not grumble. Do not complain. And so we have idolatry. Sounds pretty serious. We have sexual immorality. Sounds pretty serious. We have this willful defiance of God. Sounds pretty serious. And then at the climax of the list, the awesome destructive power of grumbling. You see, we have these two words, groaning and grumbling. Groaning is encouraged by the writers of Scripture, but grumbling is forbidden. So what's the difference between the two? Well, groaning is something I say to God. Grumbling is something I say about God. Groaning is what I do to God's face. Grumbling is what I do behind God's back. The place where Israel would groan is on their knees in prayer to God. The place where they would grumble was in their tents, in isolation, where they were free to exaggerate or make up whatever they wanted about how they were not happy. Grumbling can be so destructive. One of the things we've talked a lot about as a staff is When there's a problem, we want to talk to each other, not about each other, because that's where grumbling begins. So what I want to do in the rest of this message is talk about the anatomy of grumbling, and I want to walk through a time in the history of Israel when they had a real big problem with grumbling, and I want to look at why grumbling is so destructive, and I want to do a little assessment around this, and then talk about how we can be done with it, how we can be freed from grumbling and complaining. This will be such a powerful thing for us as a church to be known as a church of gratitude, to be known as a place that is just liberated from complaining. Way back in Israel's history, uh, God delivers them from slavery. Uh, He literally parts the Red Sea, sends 10 plagues, and destroys Pharaoh's army. The very first hymn is sung in praise to God, and they're on their way to the promised land. And you would think that Israelites would be grateful for the rest of their lives, right? Not so much. It was a couple of days into the wilderness, and they can't find water. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? So God miraculously provides water for them. So now they have freedom and water. And you would think, well, now they'll be grateful for the rest of their lives, right? Not so much. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I mean, these people have raised complaining to a whole new art form. If only we had died in Egypt, they say. In other words, we're not asking for too much. We're just asking for bread. Like, then we would be grateful forever. Like, we're not asking for too much. We would rather, we would settle for death. Like, anything would be better than this. And again, God hears their grumbling. And again, God is gracious and miraculously provides bread from heaven. And you may know that Israelites named it, what is it? Yeah, what is it? I'm just kidding. That's what it means. What is it? Manna literally means, what is it? It tasted like a cracker with honey, so it was... Uh, good stuff. Look at verse 23. It's a food that can be fixed in a variety of different ways. Tomorrow is a day of rest, a holy Sabbath day to the Lord. So bake what you want, boil what you want. Uh, It's like there's other instructions given later on about this. It's a very versatile food. I don't know if you remember the scene from Forrest Gump when uh, his friend Bubba is telling him about all the different ways that you can fix shrimp. Well, manna is kind of like that. Um, You have baked manna, boiled manna, barbecued manna, manna on a stick, manna burgers, manna salad, manna cotti. I mean, like, pretty much anything. Now they'll be grateful for the rest of their lives, right? Like, God has given them freedom. God has given them water. God has given them this miraculous, sweet-tasting bread. Not so much. They get tired of manna. The rabble with them began to crave other food and again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Remember that, at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic, and halitosis. Uh, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Okay, now we start to see part of what's so destructive about grumbling and why God takes it so seriously, about how it can just destroy a soul that can destroy our joy in life. For one thing, it's incredibly contagious. It spreads with the crowd. It starts with the rabble among them, and then it spreads. Grumbling is just that way. Emotions are inevitably contagious. They have to be the most contagious thing in the world. There was a fascinating study uh, done a while ago. Researchers took two people, and they had them sit in chairs facing each other for five minutes but they were not allowed to say a word to each other, and then they had to walk out of the room. And interviewing them afterwards about that experience, they found that if one person was depressed, at the end of those five minutes, the other person was significantly more depressed than they were before. Just sitting in the presence of someone who was depressed. Just to be sitting next to a negative person will make you more negative. Now that you know that, how many of you would like to move seats this morning? It's an unbelievably contagious thing. Pretty soon, everyone is whining. I learned this week, the reason I grumble is it reinforces this sense of superiority I have. When I'm grumbling about something or someone else, I don't have to look at myself. I don't have to look at my problems. Grumbling is incredibly toxic. It can destroy a family. It can destroy an office. It can mess up a church. I was talking to a friend recently who who attends another church, He's a really good person, a high-functioning person. But he said the sheer amount of grumbling in his church has made him want to start looking for another church. Grumbling is destructive because it's incredibly contagious. Another aspect of grumbling is it distorts our perspective. The Israelites are grumbling about, like, why can't we have meat to eat? Like, we just don't like what's on the menu. And they say, remember in Egypt, we had fish at no cost. There was a cost. Do you remember what they were doing in Egypt? They were slaves for crying out loud. Like they, they're, they're grumbling and they think, man, we, we had it so good back then. You see, when I'm grumbling, it causes me to ignore or dismiss all of the good things God does for me and exaggerate anything that's difficult in my life. A few months ago, I got to meet a bunch of uh, pastors, Bay Area pastors in San Francisco, on the subject of church planning. And it was a very stimulating conversation with a group of very bright, very passionate people. And then I started driving back to Pleasanton from the city and I started grumbling in my spirit because I hit traffic. And then I realized that I didn't have my phone, I must have left it at the restaurant and I had to turn around and go back to the city to get my phone and so I started grumbling about that. And I went to where uh, we were sitting and looked everywhere. I remember looking under the table and the food server came over and asked me what I was doing and if I needed help, and I told her I was looking for my phone, and she said, did you have your computer bag with you? And I said, yeah, but I'm not stupid. I looked all through my computer bag, and I went into the restroom because I remember going there. I wasn't, uh, the phone wasn't there. I came back to where I was sitting, and the food server said to me again, you know, 90% of the time, the phone is in the computer bag. And so I went out to my car, and I got my computer bag just to show her that it wasn't there. And she pointed in my bag and said, what's that phone-like object in your bag? <laughs> it was my phone. My prodigal phone had come home. <laughs> Do you think that made me happy? Do you think I killed the fatted calf because of that? No, I was upset that she was right and I was wrong. Now, here's the thing. I was thinking about this. Imagine that one of those grumbling Israelites from, a thousand years, from thousands of years ago could have been magically teleported to me in San Francisco in that moment. Like they would say to me, do you mean to tell me that you got to be a part of this conversation about church planning? Like we never dreamed of a conversation like that. And you have a home where you have a wife and kids that you love and you have a way to get there. I mean, you traveled like by this contraption called a vehicle that you sat in for an hour. I mean, you got to order food off of a menu and eat as much as you wanted and then drive in your car 70 miles per hour. And then you had lost this amazing object that enables you to talk to anyone anywhere in the world and write anyone anywhere, anytime in the world and look up information that we didn't even know existed when we were around. And you're grumbling because a total stranger was kind enough to help you find it when it was lost. I sometimes think if there was one verse that's not in the Bible that should be, it would be, suck it up, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) Here's the thing, when I groan, I do so, when I groan, I do so in the presence of God. See, groaning in the Bible is God-centered. It comes on people who are in deep pain or in deep sorrow, but they're aware of the broader context. When people groan, they're very aware of their own sin, uh, this is why uh, there are psalms called the Psalms of Lament. Uh, they're groaning psalms. And they're very often included. Uh, what's very often included in there is the confession of sin because awareness of and confession of sin is a, a very much part of this process of groaning. So groaning is God-centered. Grumbling is self-centered. It's all about me, what I want. Why am I not having the fish I want? Why am I not having the meat I want or my pleasure or my success? It's all about me. It's very self-centered, and it's always destructive to your soul, and it's always contagious. Look what happens. It starts with the, the rabble, the crowd, and then it goes to the whole people of Israel, and now look at this. This is the leader. Grumbling can kill a leader. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, "'Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors?' Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. It's not the most spiritually sounding passage you've ever heard, have you? Some pretty serious complaining against God. God, you're not doing your job right. I'm giving you a bad performance review. You're not getting any merit pay increase at this time. However, Moses does one thing right. He complains to God, not about God. He goes to God's face, not behind God's back. And I have to tell you, reading through that, one of the convictions I came to is, I actually need to do more groaning to God. His honesty with God, the edginess of his language with God, I mean, there's nothing polite about it. I think Moses must have been, uh, had such a, like a deep, authentic, alive, real, honest life with God. And if you ever find that your prayers feel kind of boring or dull, or if there's no life to them at all, maybe it's because not enough of this reality is going on. You see, God can work with groaning. God wants us to go through life without grumbling. So here's the thing. The idea of I'm done with complaining is not uh, like I'm just filled with as much negativity and sourness and pessimism and ingratitude as ever before, but I'm going to try to suppress it as an act of will and just act cheerier. That's not God's will for our lives. God's will is that we actually be transformed so that we learn to experience this day, this moment, this place, being with you as a gift from God, just as a gift of grace from God. Now, that's going to take some transformation for me and for you, for us to be the most grateful church around. Because I'll tell you what, we are definitely a blessed church. I mean, we are blessed in so many ways. I can't even count how many ways we are blessed as a church. But wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if the level of our gratitude achieved the level of our blessing? Wouldn't that be a cool thing? well, there are tools and resources for us to practice this week through which God will begin to transform us into people who are genuinely grateful. One of them is that we actually practice the expression of gratitude, whether or not we are uh, experiencing the emotion. This is so powerful. Uh, I remember recently visiting the mom of a woman in our church, uh, and she was in a very bad physical condition. Uh, Physically speaking, humanly speaking, uh, there was no hope. Uh, We chatted for a little while, and then I asked her, how are you doing, really? And I'll never forget this. She just looked at me, and she said, I've had a wonderful life, and I'm surrounded by people I love, and I have my family all right here. The pain isn't bad. I know that it might be, but the pain is not bad. I have so much to be grateful for. That's what she said. I have so much to be grateful for. And I'll tell you, I want to grow into that. And the place it starts is really just to express gratitude. In Psalm 100, the psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. I was thinking about that this week. It's kind of an odd phrase. Make a joyful noise. Anyone can do that. A joyful noise. It's not very specific. And part of what's interesting is he doesn't say, have a joyful feeling. He says, make a joyful noise. Why? Because anyone can do that. It's easier to act my way into my feelings than to feel my way into my actions. I love how Eugene Peterson translates Psalm 100 in the message. This is how he translates it. On your feet now, applaud God. In our day, that's the joyful noise. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church, and we were generally not very expressive. Uh, I remember singing a song, an old song. Some of you probably know this song, I Stand, I Stand in awe of You. Do you know that song? We would sing the whole song, sitting down. Like no one even thought about it. We were just that way. But the psalmist says, on your feet now, applaud God. That's why Michaela says, put your hands together. Jesus is encouraging us to applaud God. And then he says, bring a gift of laughter. When you come to church, when you gather with friends, bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. That's why singing is such a good thing. It expresses the heart. And then he says, enter the presence of God with the password, thank you. I love that, the password. Does anyone have a lot of passwords in your life these days? They're not going to grumble about passwords. I have so many passwords. I have passwords for online accounts. I have passwords for financial accounts, bank accounts. Everything nowadays has a username and password. I have security passwords. I have a whole file of my passwords that's password protected. And I forget that, and it makes me grumble. The password for going into God's presence is thank you. It's gratitude. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do me a favor. If you have your Bible, uh, would you underline the word in, or if you have your Bible app open, just highlight the word in. This is one of the most important words to keep us from misinterpreting this verse. He doesn't say, give thanks for every circumstance. It's a common misinterpretation. Some people say, well, the Bible teaches that you should give thanks for everything. You failed your class. You know, thank God. I just had a car wreck. You know, praise the Lord. My friend just started drinking again and got his girlfriend pregnant. You know, thank you, Jesus. Seriously. God does not want you to be thankful for evil in the world. I mean, if one of you were to be murdered, I would not be thankful. If my wife were to get cancer, I would not be thankful. When there's war, I'm not thankful for the war. The writer of Scripture does not say be thankful for evil. He says in every circumstance give thanks, not for every circumstance. So what's the difference? It's that even out of bad circumstances, God can bring good. In every circumstance, no matter how bad it is, you can give thanks to God. Because first of all, God has a purpose bigger than whatever that problem is. Second, God will give us the power we need to overcome that problem. And third, we will grow through the experience if we allow him to help us to grow in every circumstance. Even in the evil that happens in this world, I can be thankful because I know that God is greater than the evil. This passage is probably one of my favorite passages of scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Because a lot of people ask the question, what's God's will for my life? It's right there. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for you? In everything, be grateful. It's the password into his presence. I read this week that the healthiest human emotion is not love. The healthiest human emotion is gratitude. It actually increases your immunity. It makes you more resistant to, to stress and less susceptible to illness. It's the healthiest emotion. In other words, it's healthier to eat a box of chocolates with gratitude than a plate of broccoli while complaining. People who are grateful are happy people. People who are ungrateful are miserable people because nothing ever makes them happy. They're never satisfied. It's never good enough. And so if we learn to be grateful, to be thankful in everything, it will reduce the stress in our lives. So when are you going to start? See, we live in this illusion that someday something good is going to happen to me, something good enough to make me feel grateful. I know if I were to take a hungry little child from a developing country and put that child in your life, that child would be grateful for the rest of their lives. It's possible for human beings to live their whole life saying, I will be grateful when. We can say, I will be grateful when, and you fill in the blank, when when I get whatever it is that I want. We can say, I will be grateful when, or we can say, I will be grateful now. You can say, I will be grateful when, and people, most people probably, live their whole life saying that, or we can say, I will be grateful now. See, we live with this illusion. If I just had blank, and you fill in the blank, the house I want, the car I want, the clothes I want, the spouse I want, the marriage I want, the kids I want, the career I want, the success I want, the sweater I want, you know, if I just had that then I would be grateful. It's not true. And it's especially not true for followers of Christ. And I just want you to think this through just for a moment so you can really get this. Because if we're not grateful now and we're followers of Christ, then what we're saying is, when I woke up this morning, it wasn't a coincidence. God woke me up. God put me in my right mind. I have a table. I have food on it. I have clothes to put on. I have a lot of... uh, you know, people in this world that love me. Um, There's this fabulous planet I get to live on, uh, not just on this great planet with sunrises and sunsets and trees and birds that sing, but I get to live in California, the best part of this great planet, with oceans and mountains. And not just that, I have a family, and I have a church family, and I have people that care about me. And then there's the Bible, and I get to actually learn about who God is. And then there's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in my life. I don't have to do life alone. I have a spiritual gift that I can use to make a difference in this world. And then the best part of all, God gave me Jesus, the master of life, whose teaching still changes the world and whose life is this matchless piece of goodness and beauty. And then he died on a cross and I have the forgiveness of my sins and not one of them is counted against me by God. And then Jesus rose from the dead and I have the resurrection power at work in my life, in my body, in my words right now. And then I have heaven to look forward to. I don't have to worry about dying because I'm going to be with God forever. But here's the illusion. If I had all of those things, plus a really nice car, plus a really nice house, plus whatever, the illusion is, then I would be a grateful person. You really need to think this one through. I mean, you can go through your life filling in the blanks for the rest of your life, and it will never be enough. Circumstances and a whole lot of nice stuff cannot create a grateful person. I must learn, we must learn, and we must humbly become a student of Jesus and learn to give thanks at all times in order to be a grateful person. I'd like to ask you to do something right now. Would you look down at your left hand for a moment? I mean, just look at your left hand. Uh, don't grumble about it. Just look at your left hand. Notice it for a second. Just move it around a little bit. Notice that it works. It doesn't have to. And There are a lot of people that don't have one that works. And some of you have a ring on that hand. And there's an expression of another gift in your life. Uh, some of you have a watch on the wrist of that hand. And uh, that's another gift. Every tick is a gift from God. You didn't manufacture a single one, it's just sheer grace, ticking and ticking and ticking. Maybe sitting real close to that hand is another person. Uh, Maybe someone that you can be thankful for. Maybe it's a good friend or a spouse or a family member. Do me a favor and just touch the arm of that person with your hand. Now, if you're sitting next to a stranger, that might not be a good idea. (laughs) You know, when we're done here and you walk out of this building, Just take a moment and just think about this building and think about how we live in this place where we can meet in a public high school to worship God. I mean, there are Christians all over the world who have to meet in secret behind closed doors, locked doors that are under persecution. I mean, just be thankful. Don't don't feel guilty about it. Just be thankful. Get in your car and just be thankful that you have one. Over 90% of the people on the planet don't have one. And when you, drive, when you drive away, when you drive out of that parking lot, be grateful for that gift. You see, we can grow into gratitude. We just have to express it. Now, I want to say a word, especially to those of you who are really hurting, because that will be a fair number of people in our church. And if it's not you today, it will be you someday. When you're hurting, groan. Cry out to God. And I've been eager to tell you about this. This is one of the most amazing passages in the Bible uh, on groaning. Uh, Groaning goes way deeper. You know, the writers of Scripture talk about, they don't talk about a human, like, be happy kind of deal. Groaning goes right down to the core. This is what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. These are amazing words. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I mean, this planet. This planet, this earth that we love is all messed up and it's all polluted and it's torn apart with violence. The whole creation has been groaning. All of creation is groaning. See, groaning is what you do when you hurt so much that words can't express it. And we want to protect people from it, but we can't. When we adopted our daughter, Amran, she came to the U.S. when she was just over a year old and she had not had vaccination shots. And so she hadn't gone through all that yet. And I'll never forget holding that little body in my arms. And the doctor came. And there was this needle that just looked so huge to me. And Amron was terrified. And when that needle went into her arm, she groaned. And then she let out this cry. And her eyes got real big. And she looked at me like, how could you do this to me? Like every moment until now, you just protected me from pain. You've never hurt me. Like, why, could you, why, do, why are you hurting me now? And I just looked at her and said, oh, honey, this is, this is mommy's idea. I would never do this. <laughs> you see, groaning goes way deep. Creation groans. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Death and sickness and pain and suffering, it's all wrong. A happy attitude cannot cover over all of that, and it's not supposed to. And then Paul goes on, not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. We all as human beings do this. Those of us who know and love and seek to follow God, whose name uh, we name the name of Jesus, like we've been given the Holy Spirit, we're not exempt from groaning. You see, this ought to be a place of great gratitude we're just, we're just like lavishly grateful to God, where we stand to our feet and we just applaud God. And this ought to be a place where groaning is welcome and honest and real. So many people get confused about this. They think if something bad happens and they're sad, then, you know, I did something wrong or God has done something wrong or we're supposed to be part of this bargain where as long as we follow Jesus and we're obedient, like everything should be okay. It's not so not since the time of Job, not since before that. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. And not just that, not just that. This is the great mystery. This is so amazing. This gets us to the heart of God. Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, not by making everything okay, not by giving us you know, toughness or anything like that. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Creation groans. People groan. Christians groan. Who else groans? God groans. Our God, the holy, matchless, wondrous, powerful, joyful creator of all this, he's a groaning God. Only the God of the Bible is a groaning God. Only the God who Jesus made known to us is a groaning God. You know, the most mysterious words Jesus ever spoke on the cross when he was in in anguish, just physical anguish, spiritual anguish, he groaned. He groaned a cry that's come to be known as the cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Jesus, God groans with you. So one day, you will reign in love and power and joy with God. That's our God, a groaning God. And that's why we stand up. That's why we applaud God. There's no other God like that. He will be with you and he will give you through his son, Jesus, and the spirit of Jesus, the power to live a life that far transcends the kind of grumbling after stupid stuff that we all want to be done with. You see, that's what this series is about. It's so we can come into this new year together. And I think this is going to be one of the best years ever so we can come into this new year and be done with the things that we need to be done with so that we can experience more of God than we have ever experienced before. All right, so next week, we're going to look at one thing that if we are not done with it, it will make us more unlike Jesus than anything else. Next week, we're going to look at being done with the one thing that will make you more miserable than anything else. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to come back for that. Don't grumble about it, but don't miss next week. All right, let's pray. And just allow this to just be a moment with God, okay? Maybe you're here and you're just aware of so many things that you often take for granted and you're getting complacent about. Just take a time just to be grateful. Just do that now. Without guilt or apology, you don't have to say, God, I don't do this very often. Just, just tell him right now what you're grateful for. Because our father loves to hear it, just like a father loves to hear it from his child. Just tell him, like, God, I'm so thankful. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for the goodness you give me. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for all that I have. I mean, there are 10,000 reasons to be grateful And if you're here and your heart is in pain, if there's something broken way down in your soul, then just take this time and just groan. Just cry out to God. Name it as best you can. God, my heart is broken. God, I'm afraid. God, I'm alone. And then know as you do that, the Spirit of God is interceding for you with groanings that are too deep for words. God knows and God cares all about you. And God, would you just hear our prayers right now? We offer them to you in Jesus' name. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 845, 10, eleven fifteen. 15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.